0: Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one-stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gussis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, it's Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the
1: One Stop Shop podcast. That's not how you say that word. (laughs) But yeah, today we are going to be talking about Deep Rock Galactic, the board game adaptation of the popular video
0: game. And for our design discussion, we're going to talk about penalizing players and dealing damage and things like that in different ways they're handled in different games.
1: Yeah, for fun and for maybe not so much fun. Uh, But first, we want to thank some of our awesome Patreon supporters. If you did not know, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. And if you uh, subscribe to that, depending on what level you're at, you get bonus videos every month. We now have more. We have uh, broken the 50 video uh, (laughs) crack uh, or whatever you call it. 50 video. uh, 50
0: videos uh, of crack.
1: Yeah, (laughs) not that. Not that. That would be a different channel. Yeah, so we now have more than 50 exclusive videos on the channel. These are extra top 10 lists, extra playthroughs, all kinds of stuff up there. Uh, that's just for our patrons. You can't see them anywhere else. You also get to see our videos a week early. You can vote on things sometimes, suggest games, all kinds of fun stuff. So if you want to support us, go over there. And one of the things we do is we thank our patrons on the air. So this week I'm thanking Aaron Studer, Diggler, Omar Hernandez, Miles, and Michael Gaskin. So Aaron, Diggler, Omar, Miles, and Michael, thanks for your support of the channel. And thanks to everybody who's subscribed on the YouTube channel, who's uh, subscribed to this podcast, who's left a review for us, who's on our Discord, just any way you're joining in the conversation. We really appreciate you.
0: Absolutely. And let's talk about what we've been playing lately. I guess I'll start with something we both played, although I played more than you, which is Dune Imperium Uprising. I played a solo game and then I played like two rounds, three rounds with you and Jerry. It is very much similar to original Dune Imperium. The differences are that you have spies that you can put around and you have sandworms. And there's like a shield wall and some stuff like that. But uh, the other differences are pretty minor. For me, it was an upgrade over the original. I never played the original solo, but I did like the solo mode in this. I really enjoyed it. I think much more so than you and Jerry did. Well, I,
1: I might like it more solo as well. But yes, I had not played Dune in a while. I've heard great things about the expansions. I've heard uh, good things about this new version. And yeah, playing it again reminded me of all the things that I don't love about Dune Imperium for competitive. uh, Solo changes some of that. And yeah, it's still not a game that I want to get to the table. But that's just, it's not anything about the design. I I respect the design fully. It's just not to my taste, which is sad because I adore Dune as an IP. Uh, The Dune books are some of my favorites. Uh, so, you know, it was fine. <laughs> but yeah, I, when we were playing, I was having an okay time. Uh, Jerry was having an actively negative time. And I was like, hey, let's just
0: stop playing. And everyone agreed.
1: So we we played three rounds and then we were done.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I did enjoy I played a full solo game of it really had fun with that. I was enjoying the co-op or a co-op. There's no co-op. I was doing <laughs> the competitive version of it, and uh, I was actually talking to our friend Henry, the designer of parks, Henry Audubon, and to just today. And he said, it's actually, I think it's his favorite game. Maybe he said it's one of its favorite games, but he definitely said it was up there. So I will definitely be playing that with him at PAX Unplugged. So I'm looking forward to that. And I asked him why, and he said the whole game just feels like a knife fight in a phone booth. Just you're fighting over spaces on the board. You're fighting over the, you know, the, the combat in the middle. So he enjoys that aspect of it yeah i I was gonna
1: say i don't disagree with that characterization of it and i don't even dislike that kind of game for direct 1v1 competitive games i do not like that kind of game anymore i used to i used to play freaking diplomacy (laughs) you know like 20 30 years ago but i do not prefer that game anymore for like three plus player counts if that makes sense
0: and he did say it was best, at least the older version, because he hasn't played the new one yet. Uh, I was, like, offering to teach him. He's like, no, man, I, I know how to play the game. <laughs> He's like, it's one of my favorite games. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so he says it is best at four players. Uh, he said it's pretty good at three also, but ideally at four. So, yeah, no, it's, it's not a two-player head-to-head game. He said he actually actively dislikes it at two players because the autumor or whatever you know how sometimes like they can get in the way and just in annoying ways that don't really like aren't equal necessarily Sure, or yeah. Aren't. at least
1: in solo you're dealing with that lack of equity on your own but in two player if they keep on screwing you out of the action you need and not your opponent that would certainly be annoying i can imagine
0: right So anyway, uh, that's Dune Imperium Uprising, which is the newest version. It is a standalone game. So if you wanted to try it out, I definitely recommend if you're at a convention or whatever, trying it out. If you like the original... From from my understanding from several people, it is a slight upgrade over the original. Um, from my plays of it, I liked it better than the original, but I didn't really fully understand the original when I was playing it. I was playing it suboptimally, so uh, playing it now was much more enjoyable, but it's probably because I knew what I was doing.
1: Yeah, so another one, uh, or not? you have not played this yet, I want to teach it to you, but uh, one that I've been playing, by the time this goes up, my video playthrough will already be on the channel. And I think Steve over on the co-op guild did a cooperative playthrough. So you can see the game solo and cooperative. And that's Kinfire Delve. So this, Peter, is from the same group that did, I think it was called Kinfire Chronicles. Yep. The kind of like boss battler-ish like thing where we hated the initiative system, but liked a lot of other things about the game. Well, here I'm happy to say there's no initiative system. (laughs) Nice. And and a lot of the other mechanics are somewhat related to Kinfire Chronicles and they work pretty well. It's uh, it's a lot like 20 strong is kind of one of the closest comps I would make in that you're sort of trying to survive fighting through a lot of enemies until you eventually reach a boss and then you got to kill the boss. There is dice rolling to kind of modify your fights with enemies, but primarily it is a card playing game. I've seen a lot of people compare it to Arkham Horror, the card game, just specifically the skill tests. Because you can do the same thing, you like commit more or fewer cards, and then you roll the dice and they will modify the amount you committed. But the nice thing here compared to Arkham Horror is that whatever you like, whatever your result is, like let's say I wanted to get six and I roll and I get a five, I still put that much on the enemy as damage, and it'll stay there for the next time I fight them. So it's not like an all or nothing kind of thing, you sort of like build up your progress, it's fine. I'm going to have a full review of it probably in a week or two. I need to play the cooperative mode more because I've only played it solo. But I'm enjoying it so far. It is a little weird uh, because, Peter, it's very similar to 20 Strong. It's similar to things like One Deck Dungeon and Unbroken, like these other like quick one-player or two-player kind of dungeon delve, get-to-the-boss-and-beat-them games. But this is one of the only ones I can think of that has no leveling up whatsoever, You're just going through the same. Now it does have a unique deck for each character. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, like you don't get any better. You're just like surviving for a while and using your cards in an interesting way. So yeah, time will tell if that missing element that is usually in these kind of games bothers me more or less, but still I'm enjoying the card play quite a bit. So that's uh, again, Kinfire Delve. they you're going to have demos of it at PAX, but I, I got a review copy from them so I can bring it and show it to you.
0: So let me ask you, you've played Marvel Champions enough. Like, because I view Marvel Champions as similar. Like, these games, like 20 Strong and this, it sounds like you like it because you could sit down, play it in 30 minutes, and be done with it. For me, Marvel Champions does that. I can easily do that. And I don't have to deck build. I am perfectly fine with playing just the pre-cons. So, what would something like this offer over that, if anything?
1: I'm not sure... I mean, it's like a $20 game and you get everything. So that's certainly nice. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very, va- and it's beautiful. Like they have like foil cards. It's not the plastic cards that 20 Strong had, but similar kind of like foiling effects. So it's really impressive that they got it so nice at such a low price point. Um, but yeah, I mean, even it's interesting you bring up Marvel Champions. Even Marvel Champions has a feeling of leveling up and progression. Because as you get your engine going more, you can do crazier and crazier things. And this does not have that either. So I I don't think you would like, I mean, of course, it's one of your favorite games of all time. There's no way you would like Kinfire Delve more than Marvel Champions. I definitely think one of its biggest selling points is it's simple, it's straightforward, it's quick to play, it's very pretty, beautiful art, it's very cheap, the components are great. It's a good time. You know, I'm not saying I would <laughs> almost every game I've named to compare it to. I like
0: way better, but I like this one a lot, too, if that makes sense. All right. Because I didn't love 20 strong. So I like 20 strong. I didn't love 20 strong. So I'm thinking that this would probably not be high on my priority list. Well, I don't know. You might like this better
1: than 20 strong. It's hard to say, actually. I think you might like the surety of the card play a bit more than the dealing with the like dice pool And it's, you know, 20 strong would like force you to fight multiple enemies and it will get more and more complicated. In this one, you pretty much always have four cards to choose from and you pick whatever card you want. You're never forced to pick one. You always have four options. Pretty much it. Yes. You might actually find fewer frustration points than you did. But, you know, let's save that later. Maybe if you like the game, we'll do a review of it in a few weeks.
0: All right, sounds good. The only other thing, I think I talked about Dead Reckoning probably last time I was on here. I, I just really have enjoyed that game and I'm super looking forward to playing that at PAX as well. So um I played it solo, plays great solo, played it uh, one-on-one with my son, really had fun with it there. I'm looking forward to trying it out at three players. I did hear at higher player counts, it gets a little bit long. So I'm curious to see how it feels at higher player counts, but I've really enjoyed it at solo and two players so far.
1: Yeah, and I'm trying to, it's hard to remember what I've already talked about. I I feel like I didn't talk about Nemesis Retaliation last time I was on, did I? Nope. Yeah, so I did, uh, if you didn't already see on the channel, I did a preview. This is the currently running uh, third game in the Nemesis series from Awaken Realms. They sent me a prototype. I uh, did a preview of it and then sent it to Barrington Collin, and they also have a cooperative preview, so lots of uh, fun from Meet Me at the Table and One Stop Co-op Shop for that one. So it's hard to remember how I felt about the original Nemesis because it's been so long since I played it. But I remember being kind of lukewarm on it and not loving the semi-cooperative elements. So this one, Nemesis Retaliation, so far has been amazing in what I got to play. It's First of all, it's based uh, more heavily on Aliens than Alien, which the original Nemesis and Lockdown were more kind of focused on. So it's more action-packed. You're Marines. You have a lot of weapons going in. It's not like Nemesis where like you're looking around for like a staple gun to like try to fight these guys off. Like You have flamethrowers and rocket launchers and machine guns from the start, but there's a lot more aliens to account for that. Uh, it has more exploration because you're building the board, which you were never doing in Nemesis before. And so far from what I saw, there's way less of that semi-cooperative competition, and it's way easier to ignore it completely. So based uh what i played so far, number one, it's easily my favorite Nemesis experience. And number two, I'm really excited for it more than I have been for the previous uh, iterations. So yeah, this one looks really cool. And then uh, one more I'll mention quickly because actually I realize I haven't talked about a whole bunch of games since we were last on. Uh, Earthborn Rangers. Earthborn Rangers. I know you want to play that one again, Peter. And I imagine yep. that'll be a podcast in our future. So this one's weird because I did a preview for it. This is uh, from... Oh, crud. Who's the designer? Is it... Christian Peterson or one of the other ones, Andrew Navarro. I think it might be Andrew. Andrew Navarro is the one involved with it. Sorry. Um, So yeah, we got like former FFG people and some other people. Apparently the the Saddlers are listed as uh, having done some design work to it for uh, Adam and Brady. So this is a kind of open world game, but it's very similar to Arkham LCG in kind of the way you're playing cards. So like you have your own deck, you're playing cards, you're dealing with challenges But unlike Arkham, it's a much more, like, peaceful game. You can kind of, like, explore in nature. You don't have to fight or kill anybody. It still has, like, missions, but it's over the course of multiple days, so it's not, like, one scenario. You're, like, deciding when you want to go and rescue this person or what you want to do about this rainstorm or, like, whatever. I had not played it since I got my copy because Jason, uh, also on One Stop Co-op Shop, was really into it. And he was like, Mike, I want to do the playthrough and the review for this. And what that generally means is when somebody says, I want to do the play in the review, I'm not playing that thing anytime soon because I got a billion other games I got to <laughs> cover. You know, so it's like, whoops. Right. So that game doesn't exist for me. But Jason was really high on it. I enjoyed the preview and um, I'm gearing up and Peter's going to be gearing up for this too. I'm gearing up for our top of 2023 videos and podcasts and all of that. And he was so happy about it. I was like, well, maybe I should play it in case it would make my list, even though I'm not going to record anything. And man, oh man, is this game awesome. (laughs) I mean, it is very reminiscent of Arkham LCG, but like Arkham LCG, if it was nicer, like instead of a chaos bag, Peter, there's a deck you draw from and the lowest it goes is minus two. And that's only like a one out of eight or 10 chance. And it's almost always minus one, zero or plus one. And most of the actions will like do something, even if you do get that minus two and don't quite get as much as you wanted. And it's 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 cool. The nature interacts, the mission, like uh, uh, Jer- Jason des- described it in his video as like a chill adventure game. And I really kind of am with him on that. I mean, it does get tense sometimes. You do have time pressure uh, to like kind of do quests and things happen if you don't solve them quickly enough. But it's a very cool game. It's a very relaxed game. I'm not 100%... Sold on a few aspects of it. I am worried that I'm going to get bored with my character because your deck doesn't change that often. But the actual world you're exploring and the story and the quests and like the way the cards work, I'm in love with all of that. So, yeah, this, this has quickly shot to quite high in my end of year list, which makes me very happy I uh, played it, even though Jason already covered it because
0: otherwise it would have been nowhere. So, is it? I mean, it sounds like to me just some kind of exploring open world almost where you're just going around kind of aimlessly. So it's not,
1: and and that would bother me. So yeah, some people love those games and I like them at times. Like uh, Lands of Galzir, beautiful game. I still strongly recommend that. It's great for people who want a fun open exploration game with really cool narrative, but it does frustrate me that there is no ending, that there is no goal. This is not that. I won't give anything away, but after, like you kind of have three sessions as a tutorial And you'll get like I probably completed three sort of side quests during that time as I was like learning the game and getting used to it. But then day four, they're like, hey, major crisis, solve this problem. And like, you are you know, it's it's a multi-step thing and things are going to happen differently based on like what you do. And it's not like you have to solve it on day four, but you at least know what you need to do. So yeah, they they give you a little bit of lead time, but you have a very clear goal from then on. You have a main quest to do. You get to decide how quickly you want to do it and if you want to like be distracted by side quests and such. But no, it's it's definitely not just aimless wandering. It's even more focused Peter than like something like Seventh Continent. Like seven continent also has a clear goal, but this one, like they tell you like, here are the cities you should go to. Here are the villages you should check out. You know what I mean? So it's, it's very directed. You have a lot of freedom in how you interact with that direction, but you are certainly not like lost and wandering at least in the like five or six days that I've played.
0: Okay. I'm going to ask one more question. Then I know we're going to do a review on it. So I'm gonna that'll be it for questions. How long did each of those days take you to play?
1: So it, it does vary. Like, my last day, I wasn't trying to do as much. I only had one quest I wanted to finish. You can kind of stop whenever you want. So I uh, I, I fought some birds. I, I rescued this person. <laughs> I brought some food to somebody. And I was like, that's it. I'm done. That's all I wanted to do. But then the day before that, I... Tried to help somebody find a new home. I delivered some biscuits. I captured a legendary beast and made him my friend and unlocked a permanent card where he can like travel around with me. So that day was busy as heck. And I almost went through my entire deck because that's like the final timer. Enemies will deal fatigue to you, which makes you discard cards from the top of your deck. Taking actions and drawing at the end of the turn will discard cards from the top of your deck. So that one I really like. I mean, it's not like I would have died or anything. I just wouldn't have finished everything I wanted to finish. So I really went down to the wire for that one. And that was probably that was probably an hour and a half session. The one after that where I just kind of... that's
0: solo. Solo,
1: yeah. The, so
0: if it was multiplayer... It would be longer, would it double for double sure. the
1: time? I would say double. There is some stuff you're doing kind of simultaneously and things kind of go back and forth. But yeah, then the one after, so that was by far the longest day I've done out of like the five I played. Uh, the one, the other one was like 30 minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think okay. usually two players probably gonna be an hour unless you really get into it.
0: All right, interesting. Yeah, no, I'm interested in trying it. Now, how easy would it be to reset? Like, could you bring it to PAX? Well, so we here's the thing. There?
1: You're not supposed to reset it. You're just a ranger. You're coming in. I'll tell you what's going on and we'll go adventure. You know what I mean? So I can't play through the tutorial? You don't need to play through the tutorial. You'll just just come with me and and go deal with what I'm dealing with.
0: Okay. Interesting.
1: I mean, I could reset it and it wouldn't be that hard because it's more like me keeping track on my sheet of what I've done and I only have to put a few cards back in like the general card pool. But the intention is that a player can come with you for a little while, then they can go away again. And like the story is not that intense. I could just, I could catch you up on what's happened in like five seconds. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> okay. So I could join you, like Jerry and I could join you at PAX, play through a couple missions together, but then you could reset it later. To give to me to start over if I wanted to try it from the beginning. And also,
1: you, you and Jerry and I could play a few times at PAX, and then I could continue on without you right where I left off. You know what I
0: mean? Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. A lot of that sounds interesting.
1: Peter's uses the word
0: "interesting" a lot, which means he's not sure if he's going to like it. Which is fine. I, you are correct. I am not sure that I would like it because it sounds a little hippy dippy. I got to be honest. <laughs> it sounds a little running around doing like naturey stuff, which is fine. I and mean, my wife likes that kind of thing. But like, I don't know. I want to go kill some stuff. Uh, so yeah, this might not be yeah.
1: the game for you, but that's okay. We'll, we'll certainly give it a good try.
0: Yes. Yes. All right. Well, I think we should probably get into our feature review, which is uh, Deep Rock Galactic here. Yep. So tell them about the theme, Peter. All right. The theme is you are dwarven miners that are going down to planets and mining stuff. And literally, I've looked through every mission. I haven't played them all, but in every mission, you're basically dwarven miners going down, (laughs) trying to mine some stuff and get back off the planet.
1: It's a a rich and deep a world they've created of mining stuff and getting back to the top.
0: <laughs> I love how they have like different tokens for different stuff that you're mining, but it's really like literally almost identical. Like every single thing.
1: Hey, hey, like, hey some, of pickax, some of it you got to hit with a pickaxe. Some of it you got to walk on. That's that's that is that's true. pretty much what they got. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, that is very true. We are not making fun of it, um, oh, just a little bit. But uh, that does not mean we don't like the games. Yeah, so
1: yeah, yeah, no, no, I like on, the game. The old... but, but
0: certainly, what you are discussing
1: right now will show up in one of my five points.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. All right, Mike. Well, why don't you go through the mechanics, which might take less time than it took to uh, describe the theme?
1: Yeah. So uh, you alternate turns between the players. You each have your own unique dwarf of one of four classes. You have like weapons with ammo and you can take three actions, which are moving a single hex, uh, attacking, hitting things with your pickaxe to like dig through the ground. And after you take your three actions, you draw a bad card. Sometimes it'll cause the enemies to activate, but technically the enemies don't activate every turn. They just kind of sit around. And yeah, you're trying to usually go out, mine some stuff, fight some enemies, but you don't have to kill them. They're just a hindrance. Get everybody back to the uh, drop ship and get out. And that's, that's the game.
0: <laughs> that, that is definitely the game. It's the first game I've ever seen where in the back of the book, like a- after all the scenarios are done, they're like, here's how you create your own scenario. You know what? I think they might have used that to create some of these scenarios. Here. Yeah,
1: that's that's possible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, uh yeah, I mean again, we're we're laughing and joking about it, but it's uh I mean it's it's not a very deeper complex scenario design. I think a lot of the randomness comes out in the like, you know, end of the round bad guy card you draw, which might just move this one initiative track up, which leads to closer to more spawns. It might activate some enemies or whatever, or you know drop a gold on your head or something like that like randomly. Um, yeah, so this event deck, you know, drives a lot of it. It's kind of like the bad deck in Pandemic or whatever, except it's much more varied, and uh I think there's a lot of variants in there. But I guess we're getting it. I'm getting in the review early this time. I don't know what yeah. I'm doing. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's talk about what we normally do, which is talk about the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, which is the least important and going to number one, which is the most important thing. So Mike, why don't you start us off with your number five? All right,
1: so my number five is the enemies in the game. So you've got a bunch of different types of enemies just in the base game. They had a small expansion with the original Kickstarter that added more. And we I should say on the outset, they have uh, crowdfunded new expansions and like a reprint of the original game. So I'm sure you can late back that right now. And that is a ton more content, although it is very expensive. I was shocked <laughs> when I saw how much they were charging. Now there are, you know, big, chunky, lovely miniatures, but I was like, oh my... Like I, I was actually... I forget if I told you this, Pete. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll save that for my final thoughts. Okay. Enemies. Uh, Positive side, because this is a mixed one for me. Good variety of enemies. It's lots of different types. You have flying enemies. You have, like, big spawning enemies. You have these giant, like, boss enemies where you want to get behind them. Like, some really cool stuff going on. And I do like the way their activations work. What I mentioned in the mechanics part where they don't activate every turn. I think that's kind of a fun thing. It's not like you're having to kind of drudge through an enemy turn after each uh, player turn. So that that's pretty fun. On the negative side of that, um, the <laughs> the variety of enemies is kind of frustrating because the only way to find out what the heck all these enemies do is this giant paper that comes with the game or like cardboard sheet and the enemies are like on both sides of it. And it's like not presented in the clearest way. It's not presented in the easiest way to digest. Having to flip back and forth is annoying. So like the variety kind of plays against itself more than I would like. And then also the activation part can be really cool, but uh, it does bring up a problem that I have with multiple aspects of the game, which is player count. If you're playing with three or especially four dwarves, Sometimes the enemies will activate like three times before you get your turn again and you get ganked by enemies multiple times and get knocked down and killed before you get a chance to respond. So the the, uh, the sort of unpredictability of the enemy uh, activations can be a really cool thing,
0: but can also be a little bit uh, treacherous, (laughs) especially at higher player counts. I'm guessing what they were thinking for that, because there's no kind of scaling for that at all. And they just literally attack whoever's closest. I'm guessing what their, their thought process was, was that, oh, if player one got attacked three times, then player two will run up ahead of them and like tank for the next set of actions, right? And then player one can kind of stay back and heal or call down a drop pod or something like that. But yeah, no, they don't scale that at all. And there's no way to stop like, cause again, after each player's turn, you're drawing these cards and it could literally activate the enemies over and over. Um, this isn't one of my points. That's why I, I'm, I'm kind of clinging onto your point here. Uh, but yeah, no, there was uh well, I guess it is kind of one of my points. So I'll save the rest of my thoughts for later. But uh, yes, I agree with, with everything you said there. My number five point is the mining of the game. And basically, there are two different dice you roll when you mine. One of them you roll and it has either a single pickaxe, a double pickaxe, or a miss on it. And that is literally your action with no reroll. You literally, so this is a mixed point for me, you literally roll a die and uh, you can either mine one space next to you, two spaces next to you, or do nothing at all. And that is one of your three actions. Um, Now, if you do mine certain areas, so there'll be like gems on the outside of the board. If you mine those spaces, you do two things. Number one, you get that gem and you add it to a collective pool. But the second part of it is that you dig a space. And that's one of the cooler parts of the game is you're digging these tunnels to even connect stuff that isn't connected at the beginning of the game. So technically you could kind of build out wherever you want on the map by digging. Uh, It's going to take you quite a few actions because you're going to have to dig a space, move a space, and then dig again. Uh, But you could theoretically do it to, you know, dig several spaces in between. Now a lot of times the these caves are just separated by one space, um, and the driller can can dig a lot easier with a lot less um, chance involved in it. But the other thing is, so if there isn't a gem there, but maybe you're next to these um, stalagmites, and if you use your mining action there, then you can potentially—you roll this other dice, which potentially lets you— mine some gems as well and those gems can be used to either upgrade your secondary weapon or they can be used to call down a drop pod which gets you more ammo uh, which i'll get into ammo and stuff later but So there is kind of cool stuff. And then I guess the third use of that is if you can use any of those pickaxe symbols to attack an enemy next to you as well. So if you run out of ammo for your weapon, for example, you can just hit them with your pickaxe if you wanted. So I I like the mining. It's kind of a neat idea. I certainly like the option to roll that second die to see what you get uh from the mining and then you know i like the axe when they show up i love it but it can be frustrating at times you're like oh i'm gonna set myself up next to two things and hope to roll a double and then you roll a blank and then you have to roll again and maybe you get the one or two uh it does lead to some decision making though like if you do get you know if you're next to two spots you decide which one you want to get um so there, there are some small choices there. Uh, I I do think it's interesting how they did it. Uh, There's that word interesting again, but, (laughs) but uh, yeah, I mean, I wish there was more certainty of success, I guess.
1: Yeah, well, that that goes well into my number four, which is a big grab bag of negativity. Um, Although, you know, it's it's not going to bother everybody. It does go into our design discussion today as well. And that is uh, the potential for lost actions in this game. This is something that I'm very sensitive to, but others might not mind at all. I think it depends a lot on how engaged you are in other people taking a turn while you just kind of watch and like maybe offer suggestions. So, yeah, so you can, as Peter mentioned, take an action to pickaxe something and miss. You can take an action to shoot an enemy, waste an ammo, of which you don't have that much, and also miss. (laughs) Uh, So it's a double kick in the the face. Um, And then you can get knocked down by enemies, and you lose two of your three actions to stand back up, unless another dwarf picks you up for one action. But usually they're not right next to you, so that means they're wasting two actions to have you not waste two actions. Uh, And then he can get stunned by enemies, which also takes away two of your actions, if I remember right. So there's a lot in this game that like actively sticks in my craw of my annoyance with lost actions. Yeah. and, And the nice thing is your turns are very fast, but especially at higher player counts, you don't even get that many turns because this little track like keeps on advancing pretty consistently. So, yeah, it's just annoying. Again, it is going to depend on your taste. If you don't mind, like, kind of talking to other people in their turn, it's kind of like watching the overall fun of the game play out because it is a fun game to play. Then this might not bother you at all. But there is a lot of there are a lot of things here that are hard to mitigate that can just make you straight up do very little on your turn in a way that I find frustrating.
0: Yeah, I I I agree with you that you do lose a lot of actions. It didn't bother me because turns are so quick and because I was playing solo. I got to be honest, if I was playing multiplayer, I might have had a lot harder time with it. But um, since I wasn't, then I didn't have a hard time with it. So for solo, and did you play solo or did you play multi dwarves?
1: Yeah, so uh, they have like a true solo mode with this like helper called Bosco. I played that like once. I mostly played two handed solo Three player with my sons, and I played at uh Gen Con some three and four player games. And I definitely liked it way better solo and two player.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I my first game ever was four player, then I played with you and Jerry three player. I think we actually played multiple missions that night. And then the rest were solo, and I did use the bot. Um so I just controlled one dwarf. For me, it's just easier to do. I certainly can. and and have done multiple characters in games. But a lot of times I prefer to do a single character and this thing, I think the solo single character works out fine. So the turns are really quick. I think the AI turns being quick also helps like if you lose some actions, but yeah, I can imagine in four player, I don't think it happened to me where I got knocked down, but I could imagine that would be annoying. I do remember one time having to go over and pick somebody up and that kind of annoyed me. Like I went over, I picked them up and then I shielded them. Those were like my three actions for the turn. I'm like, yeah, I did literally nothing that turn to help myself progress, but I I did did take one for the team and some people will like that. So my number four is uh, another mixed leaning negative, which is the variety and the scaling of the game. As Mike said, four player, I don't know like how else they could have done it, To make it... Because, I mean, it's fast and smooth, right? Like, that's the real benefit of the way the AI turns work. But they do just attack the closest thing. They move three spaces toward it, attack it. And so... Yeah, if one player is the closest to all the enemies, it doesn't go well for that player, especially if they've got like two or three turns before they get to go again and the enemies just keep activating. Uh, So scaling, I think it's much harder at higher player counts, Uh, although I guess everybody needs to get knocked out. So that's one of the benefits of lower player counts or or higher player counts is you have to have more people get knocked out before you lose. But uh, (laughs) I don't know that that's enough to make up for the fact. Well, and you're going to get less turns also because the way the AI works is usually you're moving down this track. And if you get to the end, you run out of time. So actually, you're going to get a lot less turns in four players. So you do have more life overall, I guess. But, um, yeah, it's not enough to scale for just the massive amount of actions before you get to go again. Um, so th- that's a little bit of a negative and variety. I kind of joked about it in the intro, but every mission is literally going down running around mining some stuff. Now, the positive of variety, we'll get into a little bit more later, which is the enemy enemy variety, uh, as Mike had t- alluded to earlier, um, the event variety, things like that. There, There's some neat stuff in there. But as far as missions and mission design go, boy, it feels the same every time I go down there. Certainly, it, it just, like, there's like 16 missions or something. It, it certainly gets harder as you go along. But I mean, it feels like, that's all that changes like you're kind of doing the same thing. Um, now, there there's some pros in there later on, which do lead to some replayability, but the missions themselves are, are not inspiring, to say the least. Yeah, and
1: that's my number three. Uh, I focused on that specifically, the scenario variety full con for me. Uh, Peter already said it. Well, not much changes. Now, I, I do want to give credit. Based on what they've shown of the expansions, which, again, are super expensive, <laughs> but they they are going to exist, they're going to have, like, escort missions and, like, I think, like, maybe, like, a hold your ground, like, defend the base kind of mission. So it looks like there will be more variety coming, you know, if you're willing to spend, like, 200 plus dollars for all the stuff in the game. But yes, in the base game, I know Steve Steve loves this game more than I do. He's also a huge fan of the uh, video game. This is Steve from uh, the Co-op Guild. And he really likes the scenario builder. I have not tried that. So maybe that would uh, add things. But from what I understand, the options in the scenario builder are not too different, like Peter said, from the options in the game and the scenarios they give you. And those are already highly uninspiring to me. (laughs) So, yes, it feels very repetitive. I mean, it does like Peter's going to mention, you do have different enemies in each thing. Sometimes they start with different enemies. Sometimes you have like slight wrinkles in what you're doing. The maps change a little bit. And to be fair, like a given scenario is somewhat replayable because the cars are going to come out very differently. And then also these like rooms that you explore will change these like little side rooms. But none of that really changes the core thrust of the game, which uh, for me, especially compared to some more recent dungeon crawlers that have great variety scenario to scenario, it feels a little bit of a letdown here.
0: Yeah, and the rest for are, are pros for me. So I don't want people to you know turn it off going, well, never buying that yeah, game. Yeah,
1: me, me too, me too. <laughs> all, all pros from here on out.
0: <laughs> yeah, so my number three is, and, and we didn't do that on purpose. By the way, for for us, we go from number five to number one. We talk about this a lot. Five being the least important. Like when I think about the game, I don't think about five and four nearly as much as I think of like two and one as an example. So it's not like I put all the pros at the the bottom of the list on purpose. Like if vari- mission variety bothered me more than then the stuff at the top of the list was good for me, then I would have put it higher. So this isn't like pandering. I mean, I don't even know who the publisher is. So it's certainly not pandering to a publisher or anything like that. It's just how I feel when I played the game. Um, So just just so you understand how that works, because we don't always describe that as in-depth as that, I think. But my number three is quick turns. We've talked about this a lot. You basically do three activations, sometimes less, <laughs> for better or worse, um, and then you flip a card. And it's not even like you activate enemies every turn, or you move down this track that moves you toward losing and and spawning more enemies. Like the event cards are do have a decent amount of variety in them. Uh, a lot of them will move you down this track, but you know it's there's no certainty in what's going to come up from those event cards. And I do enjoy flipping them and seeing what's coming. Um, And I do also enjoy how quick it is to do that. So you take three actions, none of the actions takes very long to do, and then you flip an enemy card, and then it's on to the next player's turn. So I think, I know we said, you know, there are other problems in four-player games, but I never felt the downtime too much, even in three and four-player games, just because activations are so quick.
1: Yes. I mean, I, I fully agree with that. And I'm going to go into my number two, which is a pro, and that is the actions. And I think the game offers cool choices in the actions. I think the turns are fast and punchy and exciting. I think the tactics are pretty cool. Just to talk uh, through a few things, I really like the traversal. There's like different ways to get around based on your class. Uh, As Peter mentioned, you can dig through walls and that kind of, even though it is a somewhat slow option in many cases, just the option to do it is really cool. I like the way combat works. You can like walk your attacks to attack multiple people, depending on which weapon you have. The weapons do feel fairly different. There are cool like team versus solo options, because as already noted, people can like pick you up if you stay together. But beyond that, there's lots of event cards where you can, like, shoot an enemy that's attacking somebody if you're nearby enough. So there are reasons to stay together, but you also want to split up to, like, accomplish your goals more quickly. So that tension is nice, even though it is frustrating to shoot and miss the resource management of your ammo, deciding when to call in a drop pod for healing and more ammo while your timer is ticking down. I think there are, for a very light, straightforward, easy to teach, played it with my eight-year-old, no problem kind of game, I think there are actually a lot of fun tactical choices going on here.
0: Yep. And my number two is what you talked about earlier, which is the enemy variety. There is quite a bit of variety in here. They do have different amount of life. They have different resistances, which is one of the neat things. So each weapon has, like, a damage type but it's basically they're just custom d6s that have like different number of hits and it doesn't matter what the hit looks like so the yellow dice for example is like a machine gun Well, it only has 50 percent hits and i think it doesn't have any double hit sides or those are the green dice i'm sorry um you know but every symbol you see is one hit where the blue dice i know have i forget which one that one was fire or uh, i forget like energy something like that but it'll have more hits on it And it'll also have some double hits, but enemies also have resistances. So if you're using a weapon with green dice, a lot of times you're going to get more dice. So you get to use, you know, like it's almost like a rapid fire weapon, but it's less accurate. And then more enemies, for example, at least the more of the lower level enemies will have resistance to green dice, right? So that means if you roll two hits, It might have resistance for green. It might just have one symbol. So you ignore one of those two hits, that kind of thing. So uh, it made the enemies feel different. Each enemy kind of has a special ability, um, but they're fairly straightforward and easy to activate. Again, most of them move three spaces. They have a range, and then they'll attack you with one or two dice. um, And then if they roll, you know, a hit, they'll hit you. If they roll a special symbol, like there'll be something that that enemy does based on the special symbol, maybe web you or, or whatever else. So... Yeah, no, I think the enemy variety is good. It didn't bother me or get in the way because and maybe it's because I was clearing the enemies pretty quickly so I didn't really have to think or deal with too many of them at a time Uh, I'm sure I mean certainly like the third mission you open up three rooms at a time and like all these enemies come out And uh, in my case I had some of the hardest enemies in the game coming out literally once I opened up like I mean that's one of the cool exploration things and Mike might get into it and if not I'll talk about it later but um, yeah when you like open up rooms you like flip over a tile and it tells you where to put every thing on that tile but these tiles are very different as you explore them. So, um yeah, no, the enemy variety was a, pretty much a total pro for me. Um again, cuz I wasn't activating like five different types of enemies at a time and if I, even if I was, a lot of them were like the lower level ones that I had gotten accustomed to or in earlier missions.
1: Yeah, and speaking of variety, my number
0: one is I know a big selling
1: point for the video game and the uh, board game, but that's the class variety. So there are these four types of dwarves you can play. And I'll be honest, like each time I sat down to play it, all of them sounded cool. And I think that's a really impressive thing they achieved. They each have very fun things they can do. And even just like their weapon variety is fun. Like the uh, the scout has kind of the weeniest weapon and the least impressive like stuff in some ways. But he gets to do way more. He gets like free attacks all the time and gets to do a ton of stuff. And then, like, the minigun guy and the drill guy and, uh, yeah, the guy who puts down the sentry gun. Like, they all just have things that make you go, this guy is awesome. And I could see, like, people picking yep. any of them as their favorite and it totally making sense why they would do so. So, yeah, as somebody who likes, like, varied factions and varied characters that combined with my number two, the cool tactical options, as much as I am complaining about other parts of the game for my personal taste, still makes me enjoy playing this. So yeah, I, I think the character variety is great.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. Ironically, it's funny you say the scout with the wimpiest weapon. I love the scout's weapon. Like they're using some of the better dice in the game and they get to move or after they move, they get a free attack every time they move. Now, of course you do run out of ammo if you take advantage of that option but it's certainly nice to be able to get like extra free actions for doing stuff um and that kind of leads into my number one i actually didn't go for character variety i I went for the weapons i really just love how combat works in this game how shooting works in this game so you have weapons and i kind of described a lot of it earlier so i'm not going to rehash a lot so you have these different colored dice but as michael was saying you get to walk dice so what that means is if i roll three green dice i have to put you know, one of the dice on my original target. But then I could either put the others on that target if I need to do more damage to that single target, or let's say there's like... A target, a space, and then another target. Well, I can walk those three dice. So the first one, I maybe put a hit on that original grunt, which only has one life. So that kills him. Then I put a, a miss, maybe that I had on that space between the two. And then maybe I have another hit that I could put on another grunt or another enemy on the other side. So now I'm kind of like spraying the area as long as they do have to be all within range of your weapon in line of sight still. So, you know, there's. But I don't know. That's just so neat. Like I've never seen any game do that before. Or I could put them all three on one enemy, for example, if, if I need to do more hits to that one. Uh, so that was really cool. You also get to upgrade your weapon. So as you discover these mine tiles, some of the places you'll find are weapon upgrades. You step on them and maybe they add a yellow dice to your to your thing or it lets you re-roll one of your dice or it gives you I'm trying to think of some of the other cool upgrades but there's just a lot of neat upgrades that you could add to your weapons not only your primary weapon but you get a secondary weapon as well and so you get your choice of secondary weapon you can pick anyone your main character has a choice of weapons you know there's one printed on their board but there's other ones that they can choose in addition to or instead of um your secondary weapon as you collect gold you can take an action to upgrade it um itself so it becomes better just uh, even even using the ammo and things so oh no i'm out of ammo for my main weapon but now i'm gonna have to use my secondary weapon now we got to get a drop pod you know so i got to collect these red gems so i can you know call down a drop pod i don't know just the way the weapons work the way the shooting work it, it all worked out for me would i have liked more mitigation of course i would you know it does feel bad to you know roll and miss obviously but um I thought there was enough good in there and it swung good a couple times for me as well, you know, where I needed five hits and I rolled, you know, on three dice and I rolled two doubles and a, a single um, and I ended up killing an enemy all in one turn. So there, there are definitely fun turns like that as well. So for me, the combat, the weapons, that's what brings me back to this game. I just loved how all that worked.
1: Yeah. So getting into final thoughts, um, I, I kind of s- started saying it earlier. I like this game a good amount. Uh, my kids are pretty into it. I don't like the lack of mission variety. I was like, I can't see this being a long-term thing in my collection. So my plan was 100%. I was like, I'm going to back this second crowdfunding campaign. And, you know, that that will give me the variety I am looking for. And then here, I'm pulling it up real quick. Um Let's see. So how much was it? I was not expecting this price point. And then I saw the price point. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So if you wanted to get the two new expansions, just the two new expansions. I don't know if you've heard this price, Peter. How, how much would you guess? Let's see what your guess would be.
0: I mean, I heard you say $200. So I'm guessing $200. But for an expansion, that seems like a lot. So
1: buying each expansion individually is $88. And these are yeah. not nearly as big as the main game. Keep in mind, like they have a good amount of stuff. How in much was the
0: main game?
1: So now in this one, the main game is $137. It was not that much in the original Kickstarter. Wow. Which also seems like a lot, as nice as the miniatures are and as big as they are, it also seems like a lot for what you get in the main game. And here's the I thing. I
0: gameplay-wise... Game
1: it's like a $50 game. Exactly. And the thing is, they had a standy option in the original uh, crowdfunding campaign, which is not what I bought. I bought uh, somebody else's copy, by the way, um, so it's not a review copy. Yeah, so I, I got the miniature version. The miniatures are really nice, but they had a standy version. So on top of that, anybody who bought the standy version, now with the expansions, they're only doing minis. So they clearly have abandoned kind of the standy side of things. But yeah, if you want to get both of the expansions, just the expansions, it's $154 plus shipping. It's just crazy to me. I don't. So yeah, so my plan went from, hey, I like Deep Rock pretty well. I'm going to buy the expansions to, hey, once Peter's done reviewing Deep Rock, this game is getting sold immediately. Because <laughs> <laughs> cause yeah, it's just, it's just silly. Like I think the game is fun. I do not think it is worth that price unless you adore the video game or are really into the miniatures because they are really nice miniatures and are going to paint them. I, I do not think the gameplay justifies the cost for me. That being said, if you want a beer and pretzel kind of thing, like sort of a Zombicide level or Cthulhu Death May Die level, well, I shouldn't mention that because I think Cthulhu Death May Die is way better a game than this. <laughs> but, yes. but Zombicide, I, I think Zombicide is a fairly good cop. I think they each have their pluses and minuses and I, w- I would put them in a similar camp of like good, fun beer and pretzel, like one-off uh Shooter games. I think I think both of those are good. So there you go. It's it's pretty good. I do not think it's worth the price, unfortunately. And I am certainly not planning to keep
0: it. I like it more than you, but not enough to say, hey Mike, I'll pay you $130 for it, right? Like not I, I don't like it that much. I, I don't even know that I'd like it enough to give you $80 for it, right? Like or whatever you ended up paying for it. So yes, I agree. Totally uh not not gonna make the cut, but with that being said, I would still like to play it again in the future. Like, it was fun. Like, I don't know. I I a lot of review games, it, it's hard for me to get myself psyched up to play again. Once I got through the rules for this one, which, by the way, were not great. Um, I'll just mention that here. I'm not going to go into every small detail of why they weren't great. I mean, they were fine, but like... Yeah, there were there was missing some stuff and some stuff was definitely not in places that I would have liked it. But once I got through the rules and started playing, I had fun every time I was playing and I didn't even change characters that often. Like I was just having fun with the character I was using. I certainly did change to try the one I hadn't tried yet, but I mostly stuck with the scout this time. I was really enjoying the scout. Yeah,
1: the scout um, might be my favorite as well even though he's kind of the he doesn't seem as cool as the others on first glance in
0: my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I had done the Turk guy and I had definitely done the the machine gunner because it was green the first time I played or the first two times I had played. So I definitely want to try somebody different. So I tried the scout and I had a feeling I knew what the miner was like, but I wanted to play him. Then I played him a couple of games as well. But yeah, no, I mean, I, there, there's a lot to like about this game, but there's also a lot to, I mean, the price point is really like, I, I feel like it's all in the miniatures. Really, is what you're buying. Yeah.
1: Yeah, actually, we'll, we'll keep talking. I'm going to look up how the, much the original standy version was. I'm just kind of curious.
0: Yeah, but anyway, I mean, I, I don't want to harp on it. I, I had a blast playing this, and I kept going back to it, which was the bottom line here. You know, games are about fun, and this one was fun. Um, You know, I've certainly paid more money for games I like less. <laughs> yes, um, I agree. You know what I mean? I've certainly paid less money for games I like more. The thing is for me, like my, one of my favorite games of all time, just kind of getting into a price discussion while you're looking this up, is Castle of Burgundy. I paid $20 for the original one. Now, I don't want the miniature version because I think it would actually get in the way. But like, I mean, I got so much value out of that game and I still get so much value out of every time I played it. Would I have paid $150 for it even with the components that I had? Would the gameplay justify it? Absolutely. Like, you know, so if if it's the kind of game that you're going to get to the table that you think your game group's going to like, I don't know. I mean, price is subjective, right? To some people, $150 is a lot of money, and it keep their family from eating for a month, certainly don't recommend it in those situations. But, you know, for other people, $150 is like, you know, what they spend on games each month or, you know, a third of a year. And I could see it being somebody's only purchase for that third of a year or whatever, and like really enjoying this and going back to it. Um, it's not the kind of game I would want to play back to back again because of the lack of mission variety. But at the same time, I certainly wouldn't mind playing it two, three times a year, like pulling it out. And, and getting it to the table. And I think, you know, in that situation, you know, it's worth every penny.
1: Yeah. And I, I agree with you. If it was a smaller box, I might just keep it on my shelf for that specifically. You know what I mean? But because it's the deluxe sure. edition, by the way, it was uh, the original Kickstarter, $72 for the standee version, 121 for the deluxe edition. So not that different in this new Kickstarter.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was fun, though. I mean, I, I guess I, I want to leave it on that because I mean, our top all both of our top points, both of our top memories of the game were fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Absolutely. This is a this is a
1: hard year for crawlers because I've played some of my favorite dungeon crawly games of all time. So Deep Rock is good. It does not look as good as it might in a different year <laughs> to
0: me that's probably true. It's funny because before this year, you said you didn't like dungeon crawlers anymore. And now some of your favorite ones of all time have come out this year. And I agree with you. I mean, Tale from the red dragon Inn is one that stands out for me, but, Oathsworn certainly as well is going to be up there. And my son just finished painting our four characters that we're about to take through a campaign and he's painting up the uh, first boss. I'm not going to spoil what it is, I guess, but um, I guess it's right on the cover as well. So it's not that much (laughs) of a spoiler, but uh, yeah, he's painting up the first boss. And so uh, looking forward to playing more Oathsworn as well. So uh, yeah, you're right. It's a good year for dungeon crawlers, but they all have different feels. Like for example, Tales from Red Dragon and I could probably pull off the shelf and play similar time frame to get back into it that it would for deep rock but oh sworn it's going to take a lot longer to get through the rules and 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 get into and and it's much more of a commitment and even tales from the red dragon in it's much more of a commitment whereas here you could play any of those 15 missions like there's no character progression which is both a pro and a con it's a pro for just like hey let's play mission 14 today right but it's a con for the fact that Like, that's why it feels a little samey between missions is you're not really getting anything. They have a campaign, but it's more like track your life between missions. And if you got some weapon upgrades, sure, you can keep them.
1: All right. So uh, this has gone a little bit long. Let's uh, we'll keep our design discussion a little bit shorter than normal. But we're going to talk about kind of related to that uh, lost action thing and being knocked down and stuff. Different ways games can hurt the players, damage the players, penalize the players. What feels good? What feels not so good? I guess I'll start out by saying that I generally, these days, hate losing actions. I used to not mind that very much, and it was almost expected thing, kind of like I expected games to have player elimination. But for me, I appreciate it when games avoid that. And so far, it is something that is still very present in most dungeon crawlers, You almost always have your stun or your knockdown or your frozen or whatever it is. And it feels great when you do it to the enemies, but not so great, in my opinion, when you do it when it's done to you, especially if it takes a while for your turn to come back around. You've lost half your turn or lost your entire turn. That's that's one negative penalty put on the players that I tend to not enjoy in almost any circumstance. One, when
0: you look at Defenders of the Realm, that game has you lose actions pretty permanently right you're like you lose actions every time you get wounded maybe you can heal up but you may you, even you have can to heal go- up
1: but it takes a while yeah another game that did that and this is the reason that that game soured for me too although it's very popular for a lot of people is uh the kill fourth series that one you would yeah you would take damage and each one would take away an action and then it's you spent an action to heal one uh health so like you would get into situations where you had one life you spend one action to get to two life. And then the next turn, you spend two actions to get to four life. And then eventually you'd actually like have a real turn again.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, even games like Gloomhaven, though, they have that rest turn, that long rest turn where you're not doing anything for a round, right? The enemies are activating. Your friends are activating. I mean, a lot of times you try to wait till the, the room is clear. So you don't have that enemy activation. but. There are certainly times where you're basically losing an action there as well to rest up.
1: But I think that highlights where I land on a lot of these kind of damage to the players and penalties to the players thing, which is give us choices. Sure. So Gloomhaven, yeah, long rests aren't always the most fun, but if you really need your items back, you're going to do it. But the big difference between that and something where you just straight up lose actions or lose turns is that I have chosen to take that long rest. If I wanted to take a short rest and just deal with the consequences of like maybe losing a card I really care about, I could take a short rest, you know? And I I appreciate the choice there. Even if I still end up using the long rest 90% of the time, the fact that I have chosen to do so makes the the sting of having to wait longer to play lessen for me.
0: Well, and even, and I think a lot of games lose you actions or lose you turns. I I think actually every game probably does this. Maybe I'm wrong or every game of this genre does this. And they just do it in sneakier ways. For example, as you talked about earlier, maybe you have the same number of actions, but you have to take actions to heal, right? So I take three of my four actions this turn to heal back up or whatever. I mean, that's the same thing as, not necessarily losing those actions, but as you said, at least it gives you the option of what you want to do with those actions. And maybe I don't spend my actions this turn healing. I mean, even my favorite game, Marvel Champions, right? Do I attack, do I thwart, or do I heal this turn? What do I do with that? Uh, I guess the nice part is, You're getting the option, but it does feel bad to have to flip down and, like, spend your whole turn healing, right? It doesn't feel as good as doing cool superhero-y stuff. So, yeah, I think a lot of games in this genre do it, but I think you're right. The best way to do it is make it an option, not make it a, you are now stunned and lose your next three actions. Because even, actually, just, just to finish that thought, even in Marvel Champions, when you get stunned, it's you lose your next attack But that does not have to be your next action, right? You could not attack for like four turns. And so you don't, that stun doesn't get in the way until you choose to let it get in the way, but it still hurts. No question about that. Well, but yeah, and and you get to
1: intelligently mitigate it and use a lesser attack to get rid of it instead of a bigger one. So you almost, it gives you a chance to feel clever instead of just straight up penalizing you.
0: Yeah, and I I guess that's a good way to make a what otherwise would be a bad mechanic into a good mechanic, right? It's not just you lose it, you have no option. It's when do you want to lose it, right? Or how do you want to lose it? Um, You know, that just makes it more interesting.
1: Yeah, and something, you mentioned healing. I think kind of this idea of penalty and lost actions and and damage. Healing is a very interesting thing in a lot of these games. And I definitely over the years have come to dislike healing as a rule when I have a choice to do it otherwise. Like, let me give you a couple of examples. So Marvel Champions has healing. It's not that bad. Like, flipping to your, your alter ego side, at least you usually get to use some cool powers you aren't using. You usually get to draw more cards the next turn, like it rewards you for doing it. But I'll compare it to Sentinels of the Multiverse. Now, I'm not saying that's a perfect game by any stretch, but something I like about Sentinels of the Multiverse is balancing compared to a lot of games where, like, you have sort of this hurt-heal, hurt-heal cycle, and you're wasting time to heal, is that in Sentinels, very few characters have healing abilities, and you're kind of expected, like, the 30 life your character has, or the 28 life your character has, that is your pool, that is your resource that you are using throughout the course of the entire game. And usually in a tough game of Sentinels... By the time you win or lose, you are very close to being out of life, and they're very close to being out of life. So they kind of balance the game such that instead of having you heal and waste time healing and have that kind of be part of the calculation, which can be an interesting part of the calculation, but instead they've just balanced it so that that is a resource, a finite resource that will run out, and you need to you know manage it the best you can and rush and wait when needed to make that resource, you know, make the enemy's resource of health run out before yours does. I definitely, these days, prefer that kind of thing. Or even what Red Dragon Inn does, where you get hurt and you flip and you fully heal again and your, like, actions change. Right. Because if you don't bring the Priestess and Red Dragon Inn, except for, like, maybe a couple potions, you basically have zero healing. But they've, again, balanced it such that that's how much you tend to need, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. I'd rather... I mean, even when you think of Magic the Gathering, things like that, there are decks that heal themselves, Hearthstone, certainly, which is a digital card game uh that i've played they have lots of healing effects things like that and it does it's frustrating because you do like you know 29 of the 30 damage and then two seconds later they're healed all the way back up to 30 again right it now feels like i've started the game from scratch again obviously you haven't you've built up other resources along the way but yeah a lot of times healing feels that like that yo-yo and look let's be honest we've talked about this a lot of times before you can mask a lot of things in a lot of different ways. The game could take the exact same amount of time, whether you're healing or not, um, just by making it, you get an automatic one heal a turn. I expect the game to take 12 turns, so I'll give you 12 less life. You know what I mean? So th- there are ways to mask it and make it seem like you're healing or doing cool things without actually changing anything in the calculus. but. I do agree a lot of times in these games where you have healing characters, first of all, they're either necessary in some dungeon crawls. Like, uh, I forget what it was. It was that one that Steven and Colin were arguing were better than Gloomhaven when it came out. No, like
1: Sword and Sorcery, right?
0: Yeah. It felt like you couldn't even play that game without a healing character. Like, it just became so difficultly hard to play That it was almost impossible like it was almost a necessary thing to take a healer with you as part of your party and so i didn't play that way i played one or two characters and i played with some damaging ranger type characters whatever i wanted and i was like why is this game so hard and other people were like oh it's not hard at all what are you talking about but yeah it was like one of those things where you almost needed a healing character so you know that it can either go that way or The game takes 30, 40 minutes normally, and you get this healer, and now the game's an hour, hour and a half, right? Like, it doubles the time because not only are healing characters not, are healing back up and recovering their health, they're also not hurting you 90% of the time while they're doing that, right? So, like, they're doing less damage and making it so you're basically effectively doing less damage. So, just extending the length of the game. So, I, I agree with you. A lot of times, healing is not my favorite thing in these games.
1: Yeah, and I mean... It comes back to something we've talked about in so many design discussions. And again, this is, this is a me thing. I'm not saying anybody else has to feel this way, but I very much do not like any feeling of a null state. Like I am not making some kind of forward progress. I much prefer a game where I am making progress consistently and the enemy is also making progress consistently than a game where our progress is canceling each other out. You know, uh, one that another one that we reviewed recently, unmatched adventures sometimes in that game, like when I'm running out of cards, I spend my whole turn drawing two cards, and then I use those two cards I drew to defend against the enemy attacking me so I don't die, and then I spend my next turn drawing two cards, you know, like you can get into this place where or and marvel champions i I love that game a lot, Peter, I have a lot of fun with it, but. I think you'll yeah. freely admit sometimes you're just kind of like surviving while you wait for something to break or something to happen, you know? Well, yeah, like,
0: you're surviving while you build up right. a lot of times in that game. Absolutely. You know, you're, you're weaker at the beginning and then you're building up. That's That was the one I was going to give it as an example, too. Yeah, you're, you're just trying to survive and stay even as long as you can until you build up to this crescendo
1: at least the build-up is positive progress. You know, like that doesn't bother me as much as a game where it's just literally, like I remember, uh, <laughs> what was it? Um, the Harry Potter game had this thing where like the enemies would get a thing and then you could just erase it. And then the enemies would get a thing and you could just erase it. That was sort of the opposite. Well, and
0: that was the cheapest like item in the game. Okay? Oh my gosh, like, that's right. <laughs> to, to erase the like progress the enemy's making. Yeah, it just made the game spin its wheels. That was very frustrating. So, So it's another choice though, right? Like, having a healing character or having characters like that is another choice in the game to prevent these action losses or whatever. So how do you then give people enough options, right? Because if my only option is racing you, my resources are going to tick down. Your resources are going to tick down. So now we're in this race situation. I mean, I do think it adds variety to the game to add some kind of a healing character or some kind of a buffing character or something different where it's not just well obviously I'm going to draw my big weapon and I'm going to hit you in the face with it every time. So how do you keep the game interesting without you know as you take away some of these options to prevent lost actions or whatever?
1: I mean I think there's a lot of ways. So first we can look at euros like the less competitive ones. You know they very much have the thing that we are each building something awesome. And at the end, we will check if my awesomeness is better than your awesomeness. But either way, we both did a cool thing. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, so if we're going more into, like, the adventure dungeon crawl space, I think there are games, you know, uh, i try to think of an example. There are games where the enemies are not the primary thing in your way. Actually, I think Deep Rock does this pretty well. Like, the real... Opposition in Deep Rock, in a way, is the timer and the objectives, right? Yep. And the enemies are often, especially the weakest ones, are mowed down very, very efficiently and very quickly. Yep. So I kind of like that thing where you are overpowered, your character destroys things. But that's not, and Zombicide has this too. I think that is a comp between the two games. Like Zombicide, you can destroy enemies, but like usually you're trying to do something. If you just like go out of your way to kill every zombie on the board, you're not really doing what you're supposed to be doing. So I, I like that as a potential solution where you are, you feel awesome. You are making forward progress, but you need to not be distracted too much. Or in an adventure game, like Earthborn Rangers that I was mentioning, like, I can go off and explore this. I can go and unlock this card. I could go and unlock that card. I can I can go help somebody bake a cake. But, you know, maybe I should go and stop this volcano that's about to erupt. That's not from the game, by the way. I just made that up. Or maybe I should defeat this necromancer that's, like, summoning dead people from the cemetery. I'll get to it. And if I wait too long, bad things will happen. So, I, I don't know. I think, like, uh, priority choices and, like, which way I want to go kind of choices are cool to give you a sense of progress in different directions, but you got to make the choice of like, which progress is most important to you and what's going to like actually matter in the game state.
0: Yeah. Well, we, we dug down this hole pretty deep as far as one possibility for damage and penalizing players, which is losing actions. Um, Do you want to get into the other ones, at least a cursory view of them?
1: Sure. I like things that, Limit you in an interesting way that can make your tactical choices more interesting. Nemesis retaliation and the other Nemesis games has injury cards. The one I was talking about uh, at the beginning of this episode, Kinfire Delve, that has these exhaustion cards that'll like change how some of your actions work and stuff. You know, an unsettled, you like flip your like little card over and your character power changes. And Red Dragon in your character power changes. In our own design, Salvation Road, going back quite a bit, the one we published with Van Ryder. You would like yep. actually cover up your your inventory spots, but then you could like heal that kind of stuff. So it wasn't like your actions changed, but the calculus of how much you could carry and whether your role was more resource gathering versus
0: fighting might change. Well, even Flame and Fang, we have those injury cards you put into your deck that kind of make you choose different actions or kind of take some stuff away from you that like, you know, again, force choice on the You know, I could keep taking damage from this and leave it in front of me or, you know, oh in two turns, I can get rid of that. So this next turn, I'm going to still do my my cool action, but it's going to hurt you a little bit to make that choice.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so that that's one of my favorite things, like an ongoing card, a resource constraint or like a new resource, like wrinkle added to your choices. I like all that stuff a lot better than just like, hey, you know, that turn you were going to have yoink. It
0: ain't there anymore. I mean, I think all these things do take away actions and maybe that's why we spent so long on it. Because again, all of these things like, you know, limiting your resource capacity. Now I have to go back and forth more or I got to spend time healing, right? Um, Just looking back at Salvation Road. But again, it's the choice that matters. It's the... I can choose to heal this thing or I can deal with the other consequence of it, right? Um, Marvel Champions has very similar things when you get, like, bad obligations that come out that limit you. Maybe you can't attack for a while, but maybe I don't need to attack for a couple turns. And then, you know, eventually I can go to Alter Ego and get rid of the thing, right? So I think there are some really neat ways of doing it that will still cost you actions, but I think, Mike, you you hit it on the head with one of the first things you said giving the players options of how and when to lose those actions now becomes an interesting tactical choice, not a frustration.
1: Yeah. I mean, that that's really where I, where I land. And it doesn't mean the other ones don't work. You know, d- damage, <laughs> losing actions, being stunned, being knocked down, those have been part of the conversation since, like, Chainmail, Dungeons & Dragons, you know, like... And, and they can be fine. And it, it really depends on your taste. I know talking to others like on our Discord and stuff and YouTube comments and stuff, I can tell that I am more sensitive to downtime than the average person. Maybe that's because I play so many (laughs) solo and like two player with my kids co-op games these days. It just kind of makes sense that like downtime would not be my favorite thing. Other people are totally cool with like a Euro where they're waiting like 10 minutes to take their turn, you know, and they're just, they're thinking about something else. They're planning their strategy. They're on their phone. They don't mind that at all. So, uh, yeah, like nothing we're saying is a right or a wrong. I just want to make that clear all the time. But it's certainly something to think about. And, and I do like the the ways that designers are pushing these kind of penalty systems in new directions that I find personally very fun and exciting.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. All right, real quick. Let's see if we have the same one. What is your most egregious example of a penalty in a game that just drove you crazy. (laughs) I I, I know what you're
1: thinking. I I know exactly what you're thinking. Eldritch losing an entire one-third of your victory condition.
0: (laughs) Yep, absolutely. (laughs) Maybe what I still own that game, by the way, and I still love oh, that game. it's a great game, game. But, but I, I, don't I will play with never, that card. ever play with that yeah, card. if I draw that
1: card, we'll redraw it. Yeah, so for those <laughs> who don't know, the basic win condition in Eldritch Horror, the follow-up to the Arkham Horror series, specifically Arkham Horror 2nd Edition, uh, the win condition was to get three mystery cards, which were like sometimes fairly complicated and involved uh, missions you had to complete to get one of those mystery cards collected. And yeah, there, there was... Uh, both in the there was like a general event if you didn't have enough clues to cancel it that could discard one of your gained mystery cards or i think uh one of who's the guy who eats the entire universe which old one is that i don't remember oh, my th- that guy he had like one as well so yeah th- that was an infamous card because <laughs> this is like a game that could easily be two three four hours long and that would cost you like an hour it'd just be like whip there you go <laughs> relive that again
0: <laughs> yeah no draw another bad card like that one we're not gonna do <laughs> that's funny though did you have another one in mind? Or, no, 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 I mean, that,
1: that was a hundred percent the first one I went to without question.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, there, there are certain, I mean, but it makes you remember it, right? Like, oh, it's sometimes it's maybe, memorable, it's a memory. <laughs> I mean, it's like, uh, you know, sometimes bad memories are memories too. And let's be honest, we play games to have fun, and I, I, I mean, this is going to be a controversial statement, maybe. But sometimes bad memories stick in your mind as much, if not more so, than the good memories you have. I remember a game of Mansions of Madness I played with TZ and uh, Jerry, where we played for like three hours. And it's like, time's running out, time's running out. It kind of said that, but you know, you thought that was just like flavor text. Nope. They're like, time ran out on you and like the world dies after like what we were like two turns for winning. We're like, wait, what?
1: Yeah, and it was an app, so he couldn't even be like, No, we're gonna cheat and just keep playing. It was like, Nope, you're done, you're dead.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> there's definitely no way to go back. Or, you know, we played one of the uh, the it was a ship one with the like the deep, like, you know, everybody was turning into like Murlocs.
1: Oh, you're not talking about uh, Manchester's Madness anymore?
0: Yeah, it's still Manchester's Madness. What are the you no, Innsmouth know, in, or whatever, you mean, right? Like, yeah, they turn into fish people, yeah. and remember, like, three quarters or more of the game through, we were like radioing a ship or something and like the app just crashed.
1: Yes. Oh yeah, I do remember that one. Yes.
0: (laughs) So these are bad memories, right? But they're still memorable and we still had fun those nights. And I mean, that's the one thing, you know, at the time it's like frustrating or whatever else, but they're still all memories I have and they're memories I'm never going to forget. So, I mean, even the worst board gaming and even like the first time you draw that card and you're like, what the heck is this? that's still a memory, right? I I think a lot of games we play, like, I can't tell you about my, even my latest Deep Rock mission, right? It's fun. And I enjoyed what I was doing, but there was nothing memorable about it. So, I mean, it's another subject for another day, I guess, but, you know, memories are memories and we have to remember, you know, we're here to have fun and create memories. And I think sometimes those splashy memories, while you and I might hate them, you know, they might be what, what make people love this hobby or remember this hobby?
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. I mean, I, I had a game of Exceed. Like we've been playing Exceed, the fighting game, two to three times a day with both my kids. And certainly the the time where I did everything wrong and lost by like twenty points, and my son was cackling the entire time. That that's that's a more memorable game than any of the other ones I played since. Like I don't remember any of those other ones, but that one sticks in my mind quite strongly. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's part of it too, right? Like we're in the business of creating memories for people. And I think, you know, you don't want to obviously like have it be so bad of a memory that they lost like a hundred dollars or whatever, you know, you're not taking money out of their bank account or whatever. But at the same time, I think... Making those memories is an important part of it. And I think Eric Lang said that. Um, and and I realize, I guess, that I'm just plagiarizing it, or maybe <laughs> I'm just for the first time understanding what he said. You know, you know, even Richard Lanius, when we were working with him, he wanted these swingy moments, these memorable moments. And I think it is important to create memories for people. And so, you know. A lot of times I think when we have these design discussions, we balance toward the middle and we're like, oh, we hate this mechanic and we hate that mechanic and it's not fun. But like, you know, the our, our job as designers is to create memories for people. So, you know, if, if it's your favorite thing, then great. Yep. We don't want to yuck your yum on that. No, absolutely. Although I, I <laughs> one last one, the memory that you had from the unpub when you were playtesting this guy's game, oh my God. He, he was in dead last place the entire game and he yoinked out a card that literally said trade places with any other player and you were killing everybody in this racing game. And he literally, he went from first place to dead last place <laughs> and he went from last place to first by one card play that you had no idea was in there. And he's like, isn't that cool? And (laughs) I think you're about to punch the guy in the face.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that that was a memory, but I never want to play that game again. Whereas some of the other memories we talked about, I'd still play the game.
0: (laughs) Sure, sure. And I think there have to be enough good memories that even if you have one of those bad memories, it doesn't spoil the game for you, right? You know, we still play Eldritch Horror. I still play Mansions of Madness, right? Like those games aren't ruined because I had a couple of bad experiences with them. And again, who's to say there were bad experiences? Cause like one of your favorite games, Arkham heart of the card game, like it's not about winning and losing. It's about the experience. Right. And you know, obviously the one where the app blew up that that's not a positive experience.
1: Hey, there's also the game of uh, Arkham heart of the card game where we lost on the second round.
0: well yes and you guys i'm like all right let's just set it up and play again you guys are like no i was like nope that's
1: what happened to us that's our story
0: (laughs) you're like i'm never playing this mission again cool well i think we had a very full discussion i don't think i stayed on topic at all today i was all over the place but that's okay people like that sometimes too
1: Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, We will see you. uh, Our next episode will be our PAX Unplugged recap, because as of the airing of this episode uh, on Sunday, we have been at PAX this entire weekend. Hopefully having a good time. We'll let you know. (laughs)
0: And hopefully we get to see you there as well and come by and say hi. If you download this at midnight and you see us on Sunday, make sure you come say hi. Yeah, I was about
1: to say, (laughs) it'll be a little late. All right, everyone. Have a good uh, week, and we'll talk
0: to you next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com onestop one stop, or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey, Mike. Yeah. Every time I play a game with you, I feel like I'm losing a turn of my life.
1: Oh, man. (laughs) You want to feel the clock ticking on your soul.
0: (laughs) All those turns are fun. They're creating great memories, Mike. Great memories.